can. title of this message this morning is thy word above all thy name thy word above all thy name uh, this is basically taken from Revelation chapter 19 I, I, can't, I sort of apologize for rambling a lot I, I tend to do that I guess the reason is because there are certain thoughts that get me so excited personally, uh, things that have meant so much to me over the years. And uh, one of them is, uh, is Romans chapter 1, verse 20, which uh, tells us that we can actually know the Godhead uh, to the point that we're without excuse uh, by the things that he made. And I often, in the, in the course of just daily life, uh, think about that verse. The Lord has impressed it on me in ways that I would never forget and I want to share with you a couple of things in that regard in the hopes it will be as much of a blessing to you as it is to me on a regular basis. This morning I was sitting in my office and I I purchased every once in a while from the grocery store uh, fruit. I like fruit and I like uh, salads, I make a lot of salads and eat salads and I like fruit in my salad uh, if it's grapes or uh, tangerines uh, uh, all kinds of fruits and, and even nuts I enjoy eating those too but this morning, I, I went into the refrigerator back here at the office, and I, I pulled out a, a tangerine, and I was peeling that thing. And I also had a fresh banana. And I like bananas before they get too ripe. I like them when they're, they, they're a little bit firm, but not certainly not green, but firm. And uh, and the thing where I'm going with this is uh, is to me amazing because in everything that God has created, He has incorporated into His uh, creation space, time, and matter. I want you to think about it. A tangerine is a little bit smaller than an orange and an orange is a little bit smaller than a grapefruit why because God has incorporated into his creation his clock 
Now I want you to think about this for a few moments and I want you to appreciate these thoughts. Why is it that trees grow to a certain height and they stop? Why does a tangerine grow to a certain size and stop? Because there's a clock. Do you folks, do we realize how complicated that is? That in everything that God has made, He has incorporated time in such a way that in the DNA, there's a clock that tells it how big it's going to be, the absolute design of whatever it is, if it's uh, peas out of the garden, green beans, corn, you name it. Everything has incorporated into the DNA not only the design of the particular item, but a clock. And so bananas grow a certain length. You are a certain height because God has put that clock in everything. Space, time, and matter. I I don't see how we could live and not notice some of these things. Maybe I'm just weird. I, I guess I am. But I sit around thinking about these things every once in a while, and it's to me it's just amazing. It's amazing. Uh, we're fixing to change the season of the year. We're beginning to see leaves falling. I went down here to the pond just the other day and sat on the bench and was thinking about some things. And uh, and as I was sitting there, it was like a continual shower of leaves falling off of that tree. Why? Because of a clock. There's a time and a season for everything. And so God, who is the author of space, time, and matter, He created everything. In His infinite wisdom, He has put these things in us uh, There's a certain time that we're going to live and then we're going to die. Sure are. There's a clock. And uh, so next time you go out here and you buy fruit, I want you to think about it a little bit. And, And practice praising God and glorifying God in his creation because God tells us that we can see his eternal power power you ever thought about that word power what kind of power what kind of wisdom does it take to put not only the design but the clock in everything And we think that an orange or a tangerine evolved. How absurd. How can anybody think that 
out of a big bang or without any intelligence anywhere, this complexity just happened. What fool would think such a thing? To me, it, it really just puts you in a, in a, uh, a state of worship to pay attention to God's creation. Look at this. I mean, just look at that plant. A person that cannot see God in his creation is just not paying attention. So it's good for us to uh, slow down and think about some things every once in a while. And I know this doesn't have a lot to do with uh, our study, uh, but we'll, we'll get to it. We've got plenty of time. We've got eternal life. We've got plenty of time to think about some of these things. But um, again, the title of this message today is the, Thy Word Above All Thy Name. It's based on, really, uh, when I read this, um, um, in Revelation chapter 19, uh, verses 12 and 13, if you'll look at it with me, we'll read it together, and then I'll tell you why it reminded me of of Psalm 138 and verse 2. It says in verse uh, 12, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. But when I read that, I'm telling you, if you just read and study the Bible, verses will begin to pop into your mind, and you'll see the connectivity of, of God and his wisdom and giving us the whole counsel of God and the whole Word of God. And... All of a sudden you'll see the relationship between various things that you read and verses will come to your mind like this and it did with me. Um, in Psalm 138 and verse 2 Thou hast magnified thy word even above thy name. Now the first time I encountered these verses and thought about them in my experience as a Christian studying the Bible, I sat there and I looked at that verse, Thou hast magnified thy word even above thy name. And I didn't know what it meant. I, I didn't know for sure exactly what in the world it meant. And by studying the Bible... Uh, you you uh, you pick up little hints here and there that helps you to understand many things. And one of the chapters that I read that helped me to understand it was First uh, Corinthians chapter two. Well, let's turn to that because it's it's important to see this. And and First uh, uh, Corinthians.
I have used, I can't tell you how many times I have used this thought. Uh, but let's just begin reading at verse 7 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now notice this, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So it starts out talking about God and his infinite wisdom and how no one knew anything about God and how he thinks or his wisdom. They didn't know anything about him. So that's the first thing. Verse 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. And so what do we know about the future? Nothing. What do we know about the past? Really, very little. Very little. That's why the history books are, are not accurate so often. Is you got so many different opinions. So how do you know history? There is a, a way beyond the Bible. It's the only book that's ever been written that's an accurate history book. Because God explains everything, past, present, and future. So I don't care what book you read, you're not going to be reading an accurate history if you're not reading the Bible. I don't care what book you read about the future, you're not going to be reading a book you can rely on if you're not reading the Bible. And it's God's way of letting us know we don't know anything. Past, present, or future. We don't know how the world began. Apart from this book. We don't know why we're here. Apart from this book. We certainly do not know a thing in the world about the future apart from this book. That's why I tell you and I emphasize this over and over again. Where would we be without this book we'd be no different than an insect no different than a uh, a worm living under the ground blind with no eyes um, but look at verse 10 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Very important. And then we read, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of the man which is in him? Now that's the statement that I have used so many times in talking with students over the years and parents. Some of them coming in saying things like this, I know my child, and I know my child wouldn't do so and so, such a thing. And so all of a sudden, an opportunity is given to me to tell them, no, you do not know your child. 
How do you know a child? How do you know your wife? How do you know your husband? How do you know your best friend? How do you know anybody? Well, it tells us right here. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? And so a parent that thinks they know their child, that is a failure to understand what God has to say about knowing anybody. You can't know anything about anyone unless they, by revelation, reveal their spirit, which cannot be seen or known, other than through words. And that's why God's word is magnified even above his name. What do you know about a person if you know their name? Nothing. What do you know about a person if you know how tall they are and what color their hair is? Nothing little of any real significance. So how do you get to know somebody? You get them in and you set them down and you get them to start talking to you. And the only thing you need at that point in time is for them to tell you the truth, which most people will not because all men are liars. But God isn't. He's not a liar. And he's so confident in who he is and what he is, he wrote it in a book forever. It's eternal. And, and, and God's Word is the innermost self of God from His invisible self. It's from His Spirit to man. And so, what would we know about God if we didn't have His Word? Well, we've got it. And all of the emphasis that's been in this church for years about the importance of the King James Bible. Folks, I'm going to tell you, we are so blessed in this place because this truth has been emphasized. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says in verse 12 now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth but which the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the Bible. The mind of 
Christ. When you read that word, mind of Christ, you just insert Bible. We have the Bible. And because we have the Bible, we can know God. So, you might wonder what do these things have to do with Revelation chapter 19? Everything. Because it tells us in verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head was many crowns and he had a name written. Now what do you know about God if all you know about him is his name? Lord Jesus Christ. Well you don't know anything other than the title. But you don't really even know what it means. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Can you not see that he himself takes you to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it tells you that no man knows the spirit of a man save the man himself. Makes all the sense in the world when you see the connection. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew what that name meant. But he himself. Why? Because he's the word of God. And you can't know a person unless they reveal themselves to you with words. And that's why Psalm 138 and verse 2 says that he has magnified his word even above his name. That's how you get to know a person. They have to talk to you and they have to be honest. Now, I told you that I have a, a tendency to ramble, and I do, but I, I hope that the Lord will take the things that are seemingly scattered in the way I teach some of these subjects and put it together for you like I've been trying to put together this chapter and 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and Psalm 138 now those are scattered out all throughout the Bible but when you put them together all of a sudden you arrive at a conclusion that hopefully you will remember the rest of your life and it will become a benefit to you. And you won't make the mistake of coming into an office over some issue involving your child and say something as uninformed as, I know my child. <laughs> no, we do not. We don't even know ourselves, let alone... <coughs> people that we think we're close to. Uh, we know only what they are willing to reveal. Now, I would like to just uh, a few moments go back to Revelation 18. Um, 
Because getting into these, the 19th chapter, uh, there, there are certain things that need to be understood about that 18th chapter. I've got books stacked up on my desk that I've been trying to read through and when I get an opportunity and people keep bringing me books wanting me to read books and I've got I don't know how many books on my desk that are written by very well known theologians preachers both from days gone by and preachers in our generation and everybody's got a, a seemingly different view about so many of the things that are written <coughs> here and I try to I try to read these things and 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 I pray and I ask the Lord to help me please don't let me uh, mislead the people in our church because I, I don't want to do that and I don't want to be misled. I want to understand what's coming. And I'd like so much to get it right. And I've told you before how that years ago, Pastor Kelly came into my office and handed me a book by Frank Logston entitled America and Bible Prophecy. And... Uh, I read it, and I would not forget that book. It became one of the most precious books in my collection of books that I have. I finally found another one, additional one, in my library. I gave one to my son, Caleb. Uh, he was interested in that subject one day and was talking with me about it. I gave it to him. and. Uh, I said, in all your reading, you need to think and remember what Frank Larson had to say about Revelation 18 because I don't see how it can be any other place on the face of the earth than the United States of America. And most of the theologians, when you read on this subject, are going to talk about it in terms of an ideology that has been in the world for since the Tower of Babel, you know, Babel was the beginning of Babylonianism. Well, technically it wasn't. Technically it began in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Babylonianism is trying to have a one world government where you're the center of it. And right and wrong, which is what government is all about, is what you decide. You know good and evil for yourself. So Babylonianism actually started with Eve when she sinned. And so it begins to multiply our influence. Uh, we discover that we're not the only ones that think that way, that we are the center of the universe, and that God is not that important. What's important is not His will and His word. It's our mind and our wants and our will. And when you find out that we're all alike, all of sin and come short of the glory of God, guess what? It ain't going to be long before you've got a community of people that think that way. And that's what the Tower of Babel is. If you don't understand it that way, you miss it. 
The Tower of Babel is, is God's way of showing us that all are the same. All mankind apart from God were born into this world in sin and shaping in iniquity, self-centered to the core, wanting our will to be done, and a God in heaven that exists for only one purpose, and that's making us happy our way in terms of our method of being personally happy. And that's all we want God for, which is pure humanism. Well, if everybody has the same sin nature, then it ought to be easy to understand the Tower of Bible. It's a community of people that think the same way. Well, I don't care what city you go to today. That's exactly what you see. You don't see people worshiping God and reading the Bible. What do you see? You see Babylonianism all over the place. It has encompassed the whole world. Babylonianism. And so it is an ideology. It is something that has has characterized the ages. And so the Bible is what God is trying to do about it. And I use the word trying. It's a pitiful term or phrase, uh, expression to say it that way concerning God. He doesn't try anything. He knows exactly what he's doing at every moment. But God is so patient so loving he's allowed this system to progress the way it is and unfold the way it has unfolded over the the, uh, the generations but there's going to come a day that he's going to make this determination and only God can make it and only God knows exactly when He's going to say it's enough. And there is no remedy any longer. And we saw him arrive at that in the flood, in the global flood. We saw him arrive at that at the Tower of Babel when he came down, intervened himself, put a stop to it. Very merciful what he did. He just confused their languages so they could not communicate with one another in their nature. And he scattered them throughout the world. And in the course of time, you know, he raised up the children of Israel. There's nothing special about the children of Israel other than what God has used them for as a, as a type, as an earthly illustration of what he wanted to do for every single individual that's ever existed. He's not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world, not just a Jew, but a Jew and a Gentile. person that doesn't understand that doesn't understand the, the first principles of what this Bible teaches. God loves the whole world. And the Jew is no more special than a Gentile. God in himself is one that said that. I didn't say that. He said, I'm no respecter of persons. Well, when you get proud of your pedigree, you just manifest the fact that you don't understand the Bible. You don't understand the mind of God. And so, 
Babylonianism has, has developed over all these generations and finally we see the, the final stages of Babylonianism or self-centeredness and the exaltation of the mind of man above the mind of God and the appreciation for this word and what he says is going to happen in the future. The one world government is nothing in the world more or less really than what caused the fall in the Garden of Eden. It's the whole world united together thinking I can have an expected end. I can determine my future and I don't need God to do that. I can do that. And I can do a better job than him in making me happy. And God says the main thing that's going to enable you to do that is mammon, money. Money will enable you to do that. And so we come to this 18th chapter. Well, the 17th chapter 2, which is a a one-world religion, but the, the ecumenical movement is nothing in the world but the idolatry that you read about in Psalm 115. It is, it's inventing God and having certain symbols on earth that represent your invented view of God and how he thinks. And so the ecumenical movement in chapter 17 is really that. It's, it's the, the world coming together in the name of religion, in the name of Christ, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's all the 17th chapter is. And so Satan is finished with ecumenism. He's finished with every other religion in the world uh, because the even the perversion of Christianity preserves the name Christ. It preserves the idea that God has spoken. And he wants to get rid of that forever. And so he burns the ecumenical movement, the whore, with fire. God is the one that calls her a whore. Because she's gone a whoring after other lovers other than him. So God is not the first love of the church in the last days. He's the last love. The first love is self. And our own view of God as we want God to be. That's what is worshipped today. It's worshipped in this town right now. It's going on right this very moment. The worship of a God that is not the God of the Bible. So when you get into the 18th chapter, the theologians are inclined to think that this is just an ideology that's talked about in the 18th chapter. And I don't think that at all. I don't think it's just an ideology. I think it's certainly part of it. But it's quite evident that Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 is written all over it. God says there's 
the whole the analysis of the whole system from the beginning in the Garden of Eden to the very end when I come back and destroy the armies of the world is a battle between God and mammon wealth wealth money and I'm telling you that's what it's one of the biggest problems that there is in the world today is money because it it enables you to actually worship what you want because it's the means of getting it without God and I'm telling you uh, when you think about these kinds of things you can understand that only God could have written this book there's no way that anybody could come up with these things God wrote this book and the reason is because he knows us up one side and down the other he knows exactly how we think. He knows our nature perfectly and describes it. And we do not know our nature at all. We do not know that we're evil. We really believe we're pretty good people. Even after we get saved, but the inclination is to still think that. We have to put ourselves in constant remembrance of what we are every day that we live every moment that we live because there's a nature in us that wants to jump out and live for self and it never ends it's like the law of gravity that pulls you into the world you try to go up pulls you down it's a law and that's what Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 7 it's a law and he wanted to do good, but how to perform that which was good, he, get, he said, like, if I find not, because there's a law in me. It's a law of the flesh. And so he cries out, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And of course, the happy answer is in the next chapter, the eighth chapter. It's in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who gives us his nature. That's what we have to have. So, Revelation 18 is uh, is I think talking about a lot more than than uh, an ideology, and I think there are certain things that are said here that will help us understand it's not what a lot of these theologians are saying. I mean, good men that it's wrong. I don't believe it's wrong. I mean, what is there about the Vatican and Rome that would cause the kings of the earth and the merchants? This whole chapter is about money. It's about wealth. It's about living delicately. It's about wealth up one side and down the other. Well, there's a lot of money associated with uh, the Vatican and so forth. I don't question any of that. Uh, it's a huge uh, religious system. But it's not Revelation 18. Because they don't have ships going out all over everywhere, uh, feeding the world. There's nothing about the Vatican that would make the world 
you know, uh, weep and wail, as we read in verse 19, and they cast dust on their heads and cried a weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea. <laughs> Do you ever read anything in the paper about Rome, the Vatican, having ships in the sea? I don't. I'll tell you who does. The United States of America. We've got ships coming in and going out. Huge ships. I watched a documentary my wife and I did the other day on China. And it's showing uh, uh, all these cities over there, Beijing and other of the major cities in China. You're talking about something amazing. The wealth and the money. You know where that money came from? The United States of America. It didn't come from some other country. It came from us. And we sent our businesses over there. It was the entrepreneurs out of the United States of America that sent their, their factories and their businesses over there. And I'm telling you, you can't hardly go to a store but what everything is made in China. You go to Harbor Freight, you go to Walmart, China. And you think the Vatican did that? How in the world can somebody miss the elephant in the room? It's the United States of America. We have become the whore of Revelation 17 in the mind of God. The Christian nation, the so-called Christian nation, has outlawed God. <clears throat> We've outlawed God. And we are the ones that are responsible for the blood of the prophets and the saints and all that were slain upon the earth as we read in the very last verse of this chapter. And as we continue to watch some of these documentaries about other countries, which I like to watch documentaries, it's cheap travel. You just sit right there in your, your house and you can watch it on TV. Um, but um, what I saw was the Americanization of all of those countries over there. Japan, they dress the way we do. They play the same rock music. They've got their, their tattoos. Their mini skirts. Their short shorts. Sex is everything. Sex and money. Sex and money. I mean, the Muslim world, they see us for what we are. The whore. Are women dressing like whores? We do that all over this town. 
We go to Myrtle Beach next week. You'll see it. This is the United States of America. That's here in front of us. And the reason the Lord doesn't have to say United States of America because it ought to be obvious. Just open our eyes and look around and we can see it. America, our institutions that hate God and have outlawed Him. Our own government, our own Congress is doing everything that it can to shut up the churches. Our own governor, Roy Cooper, anything in the world to stop the worship in the churches. Got to wear a mask. Can't have but ten people. It's a constant battle. The thing that is hated more than anything else in the world today is not Judaism. It's Christianity. Christianity has more political power than any other uh, influences in the world today. It's Christianity. How do I know that's a true statement? Because God said it. He has given us, as His people, His Holy Spirit. And God is the one who wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. In the second Thessalonian letter, in chapter 2, it's He that will restrain or let until he be taken out of the way. It is God who said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The biggest stronghold of Christianity today is still Revelation 18, America. And that's why the rapture is fixing to take place. The Lord is fixing to take us out of here. And I'm telling you that when he does, all hell is going to break loose because there will be no restraint to any evil on the face of the earth. And the bloodshed and the killing that is going to take place is going to be more horrible than anybody could ever imagine. And so Revelation 18 is false religion. It's another Jesus. It's about Jesus, but it's another Jesus. It's about wealth. It's not about Rome. It can't be because the descriptions that are given here over and over and over again. We are the, 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 the country that is feeding the world, has blessed the world, has sent tons of money to all the nations of the world. I'm talking about by airplane loads and $100 bills in bulks that turn into billions. And we can't see who this is. 
It's the United States of America. But in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 4, there's an amazing thing there that parallels with Revelation chapter 3 and uh, beginning at the 14th verse of Revelation chapter 3 the Lord is addressing the church in Revelation chapter 3 the Laodicean church which is the last of the churches that he mentions but why is he doing that because the when you look at the very end of church history as it would unfold, the church would become Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And the description of chapter 4, let me just read it to you. The Lord said, I know thy works, in verse 15, that thou art neither hot, you're neither cold or hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm warm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is a description of the churches today. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with thy salve that thou mayest see that is really a description of Revelation 18 it's a description of a whore And so the church becomes Revelation 17. And the greatest contributor to it is the United States of America. And so that's why the Lord makes a connection for us, the church. Because the whole Bible, Revelation 19, begins to talk about the church, the Lamb's wife making herself ready. It's now talking about the church. And in the last chapter, it specifically names the church, the churches. So the whole book of Revelation is to the church. And the very last word about the church was the Laodicean church and how close she was to being just a whore whose affections had been alienated away by the world. And she thinks she's rich. And that's a description of the churches in America today. Boy, I'm telling you. Rich. You got preachers up there. You know, send us your money. Thousands of people gathered in certain denominational churches. God will make you rich if you'll just pray and send them a little seed money every once in a while. God will... Pay attention to you. He'll know you're serious and he'll make you rich. That's the church today. 
It's not about a false profession of faith. It's not about our spiritual poverty. It's not about trusting the Lord and He shall bring it to pass. It's about if you focus on the money, go out here and work, make a lot of money, give a lot of money to the church, then you can do many things. And that's exactly what the church is doing. Many things without God. Because money is the God of this nation right now. The only thing in the world that this next election is really all about is money. It's the economy. This is the thrust of everything that Donald Trump stands for. It's money. Now, I don't want to stand up here and discourage y'all from voting for him and all that because the Lord is really the one in the backdrop bringing everything to a close so that the expected end that he wrote about is going to happen. And I believe Donald Trump is one of the major players in the last days in preserving this nation to be to endure through the tribulation into the tribulation the great to be the very last thing that God Almighty is going to judge in this world. And it's going to be the United States of America. We're in a lot of trouble, folks. Because what you're hearing this morning is not what people are thinking in this country. And they're certainly not thinking it in the churches. Everybody thinks there's a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer. No. Not by man, there's not. Not by an election, it's not. Not by a dollar bill, it's not. The Lord said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, be converted. America's not going to be converted. America is going to be destroyed. And God has defined us up one side and down the other as being that place on the face of the earth that is rich and is thereby able to make the merchants of the world rich from other countries. And that's us. How can anybody miss that? That's not the Vatican, folks. And all these books on Bible prophecy that's telling you that's the Roman Catholic Church, they don't know what they're talking about. They're not thinking about this chapter and what it's actually saying. That's at least my take on it as I understand it from the Scripture. If I'm wrong, then take the chapter and teach me that what, that what is said is not correct. All you need to, to get it right is the Word. The Word of God. But I'm telling you, people, I think read this and we've got a nature in us that wants to turn the, the wrath of God away from what we are, away from us. It's got to be on the bad people somewhere. Listen, the church is in big trouble in the world today. 
man, our time is gone. Mm. Oh, well. Maybe I won't ramble so much next week. We'll come back and look at it. Please study the 19th chapter and the 20th chapter. Study these chapters over and think about it. And ask the Lord to help you have insight. If you come up with something that that seems to be uh, an important uh, angle on what God is saying, uh, tell me about it. I'd like to know. Uh, Brother Jim, will you dismiss us? Thank you. Hey, we call we thank you for allowing us to come and listen to your word.